Uh, hey, welcome to... S- yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it? Salutations. That's like a greeting and a parting, like a farewell. Is it like aloha? Salutations, my friend, and salutations. Yeah, I think so. I, honestly, I was going to start this episode out with aloha. Aloha also spelled the same backwards and forwards. It's really not. Very bookendy kind of word. That's aholo. This is Scooby Dudes coming at you with a friendly little salutations. Yeah, salutations, friends. Yeah, we're two best friends. We're here to talk to you guys about our favorite meddling kids. And their dumb dog, too. This week, we're bringing you an episode from What's New Scooby-Doo, and that episode title is... Uh, it's a Scooby-Doo Halloween. That's uh, What's New Scooby-Doo, season two, episode six. Yes, a Scooby-Doo Halloween. And without further ado, let's go ahead and get in. Yeah, all right, enjoy. Enjoy. Two dudes talking about Scooby-Doo. Two dudes just like you. Unless you're a lady, mm, this show is for ladies too. If you're LGBTQ, we are your Scooby-Doos. Scooby-Doos. This one was done in partnership with Warner Brothers, so it's a very it's a distinct style change. As, as far as that being recent, it's like turn of the century, right? We're to the uh, the 21st century. It premiered in 2002. This is the Scooby-Doo of a post-9-11 world. This Scooby-Doo is very aware. It d- deals with terrorism. Um, it deals with, uh, yeah, loss of American patriotism. A lot of undercurrents of fear and uh, and some some pretty blatant xenophobia. Oh, xenophobia, yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's some real fear-mongering uh, against brown people, even against people who were too pale. There's some I- al- albino fear-mongering. It's, it's a little subtle at times because, you know, xenophobia, xeno being like alien, so there, there will be episodes where there are aliens. And then it becomes less subtle when you see that all the aliens have turbans and beards. Turbans and beards. I thought I saw a sombrero in there as well, a, a long mustache. In a lot of ways, it's it's almost like this was tailor-made for Trump's America. <laughs> Gooby dooby doo, build that wall, make America great again. <laughs> because we record these episodes so far ahead of time, there's no actual telling what the political situation will be like when they when these do air. By the time this airs, Trump will be an American hero to the far left. He will have proven himself, and uh, and the hardcore left will love him. The the best president you've ever had. And uh, I say this as a Canadian. I feel very comfortable on this side of the border. He actually made Canada great again, too, just by being close by. We're, we're great by association. Yeah. With with all of that out of the way, what's new Scooby-Doo is, uh yeah, it, it's a very modern take. Yeah. And this is the first iteration of the show where Frank Welker voiced Scooby. And this is also the last show ever to have Casey Kasem voice, voice Shaggy. Which is very significant. True enough. We see it right from the the first credits that Casey Kasem is Shaggy and Don Messick uh, is not Scooby. Don Messick is no longer Scooby. That's uh, Frank Welker, who does a good job. I've said it before. I love Frank Welker's work. I think he's a he's a treasure in this. And of course, Frank Welker is also still still Fred. And and in all seriousness, we made a lot of wisecracks about what this show is. Uh, but given that it's a more modern, you know, this is like the Scooby Doo the twenty first century or whatever. I, I would say that there are some significant differences, uh, j- just in comparison to past, you know, the the past shows that we've seen. Yeah, I think we've commented on Scooby Doo self awareness before, but I think this is by far the most self aware episode we've seen so far, in that it's subverting and taking tropes further, um, kind of assuming that you've seen Scooby Doo before, and now we're going to do something new with it. 
Yeah, there's a lot of meta. Yeah, a lot of meta. Uh, there's a strong like meta narrative here. So, like we said, this is what's new Scooby Doo. Uh, the episode is is season two, episode six, a Scooby, Scooby Doo Halloween. Halloween. Yep. Uh, which this is like the first boring title to a episode that we've done. Yeah, there's it's no pun in the title. It's a very plain title. There, there are no there are no puns. There are no rhymes. Yeah, this is the saltine of Scooby Doo titles. Really, it's just bland and dry. Yeah, you could have rhymed saltine on Halloween. And come up with, with a more appropriate, you know, as far as paying homage to, to the past. <laughs> a saltine Halloween would have been a better title, uh, but for the total absence of saltines in this episode. A very prominent absence. I think we were all waiting for the saltine to show up. The reason that I that I suggest we do this episode is because it was written by uh, Nanachka Khan. Mm. Uh, and you may know Nanachka Khan's work from uh, from being the showrunner for Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23, which I watch in its entirety every year, and Fresh Off the Boat. And I have not watched uh, Don't Trust the Bee, but Fresh Off the Boat, I love. I uh, absolutely love that show. Yeah, they're very smart comedies, and obviously this is the Nanachka Khan of the uh, of the early aughts. So maybe not what we're used to, but uh, she she has a very sharp, witty, witty sort of voice. So it, it was interesting to see that yeah. play out here. It's old Nanachka, it's new Scooby-Doo. And again, just to bring it back to Warner Brothers, this is a Warner Brothers animation, not just Hanna-Barbera. And we see it right from the beginning in the style. Um, instead of having that kind of grainy, charming, rough, spun animation look, it's very clean, it's very sharp, it's quite detailed. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crisp. Obviously, some of that has to do with... Uh, the time. Yeah, it's more modern. And we start out, they're in the process of catching a monster. Yeah, not only are Scooby and Shaggy running away from a monster, and it's in a swamp, let's give it a bit of context, it's obviously a swamp monster they're running away from. Uh, we know it's like New Orleans or something like that because they jump into a fan boat and they start speeding away from the monster who also jumps in one of these. And we find that there's already a trap set up, so we really are in the final stages of an episode. Yeah, they, they trap, it looks like a monster made of hay. Which is a little curious, given they're in, they're in like the bayou. Yeah, it's it's a weird swamp monster. It's a dry swamp monster. This would be like a a Scooby Doo advertisement for Visine. This is this is like if uh, almost the implication being that this this monster seeks to drain the swamp. Yeah, but uh, he doesn't go in and drain the swamp. He just fills it in with more gunk and more garbage. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We're getting political again. I, I want to apologize to all of our listeners because I really. I feel like political humor is my least favorite brand of humor. Like, SNL notwithstanding, all, all that they've been doing. <laughs> it's just so easy, I, though. That's why. I feel so like it's easy. because it's so easy. I mean, we're recording this ahead of time, but Trump is still in the news. Even if he's been impeached by this point, he's still in the news. There's no way it's, he's out. Are you calling it right now? You're calling it that one episode? What is this? I think eight? this episode is what gets him impeached. People listen to this, <laughs> and they say, you know what? We have had enough of this. Scooby-Doo op- Scooby dudes open my eyes. Scooby-Doo is too pure to be mixed uh, with, with the politics of the current day. Yeah. I, and it just it threw them into a frenzy. I thought I could put up with Trump until I saw him starkly compared to the innocence and the purity of Scooby-Doo. And that's what made me realize how dirty it really is. That swamp monster. He is the swamp monster. Swamp monster made of hay. Uh, they, catch, they catch said monster. They're already running away. They've already set up a trap, and they do catch the monster. It goes off without a hitch. And then from there, we cut immediately to the wrap-up scene. The monster's already demasked. It's, uh, what was his name again? I, I actually didn't write it down. Um, I'm sorry. I'm going to refer to Wikipedia for this, because they do name him. Um, it's Oldsy. Oldsy, that's <laughs> the, right. The cop who's there says, ah, Oldsy. I see that. And they, they do an explanation, uh, 
during the wrap-up. He robbed a bank, he stashed the money in the swamp, he dressed up as the monster to scare people off while he tried to get the money back. Good old I I forgot to, uh, to do this, I'm just going to read it right now. I, I want to provide our readers with, with the synopsis, oh, yeah, well, because I feel like it will, or rather our listeners with the synopsis, because I feel like it will help them better follow along. Yeah, we'll cut this to um, the front. So, after the gang solves another mystery, they go to Banning Junction to visit Velma's family for Halloween, but they meet ghostly scarecrows who try to ruin the festivities. The gang attempts to save the town before the ghost of Hank Banning appears. Yes. So we... Yeah. I'm just going to wait for Ibti Sam stepping out, so I'm going to let that... She's she's tap dancing. She's, uh, she, she's tap dancing, jangling keys in front of my face as if I were a baby. She's, it sounds like she's wearing a suit made of pots and pans. Yeah, that's exactly what she... That, that is it. She's uh, When she likes to go running, she's afraid of getting shot, so she Ned Kelly's it every time. <laughs> oh, man, what a sick reference. <laughs> the pots and pans, you set me up so neatly. Uh, or I thought it was either going to be that or it was going to be uh, Russian royalty. Yeah, the Archduke of France Ferdinand? Or... Yeah, do the silverware under the clothes. Oh, man. I freaking love that movie, too. Uh, Ned Kelly or Anastasia? No, Ned Kelly. They're both good. I, they both have, a, like, a, I have fond memories of, of both of those. Okay. Um, dang, where were we? I, I just read the synopsis. We, have, we haven't seen that synopsis in action at any part in the opening. And when they're wrapping up the mystery, when they're like, Oldsy stole all the bank stuff and whatnot, Scooby and Shaggy are impatient. Yeah. Shaggy's looking at his watch. Scooby's like, Scooby's like tapping his paws, right? They're very antsy. Yeah, and it's like, what's going on? What are you guys waiting for? Um, we don't find out right away. If they grab the gang, throw them in the van. And and one of the ga- one of the members actually says, like, hey, we're not done with our wrap-up. Scooby and Shaggy don't care. They got someplace to go. Before we get to that, my favorite part, I think, of the entire episode, which felt very Nanashka Khan to me, is that Scooby and Shaggy are so anxious to leave that Shaggy gets in the driver's seat. I think my favorite part, too. I know what you're about to say, but so, it landed so, Shaggy so is driving, and, and Fred is in the back seat, and Fred's like, wow, so this is what it's like to be in the back seat. <laughs> It's, it's cool. It's such a self-aware reference to the fact that Fred always drives. Um, and the fact that he's so, like, wowed and friendly about it, it's hilarious. Oh, And it really is such a novelty, both to the character and to us as the audience. We're also like, huh, this is kind of cool. Yeah, Fred's not driving for once. Although I will say that when they hop in the car and Scooby whips out a map and Shaggy's driving, we've seen this same scenario once before, haven't we? Is this... To all the ghouls I've loved before when right, uh, they're yeah. in the plane. So I can only presume that Scooby's about to direct them to the Himalayas. Himalayas? <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, look, there's Flim Flam. Is this, is this not Banning Junction? No, there's giant snow-capped mountains. And British people. You know it's the Himalayas. It's canonical that Scooby is a horrendously bad navigator. Yes, we've established so, uh, this in a previous episode. Check that out. I think that's episode four. Yeah. Uh, and then we find out where we're going. As the synopsis said, they're, they're going to Bad Junction specifically to visit Velma's family. Her aunt and uncle. Aunt and uncle. And also because apparently Halloween is a good time. Uh, which is, it, it was interesting to see Shaggy and Scooby so jazzed about Halloween. I think Velma makes a note of that. She's like, what? You guys are into Halloween? And apparently the reason they love Halloween, Halloween is the one day where all spooky stuff is fake. You guys, every mystery. The, yeah, the they're always fake. fake. Every wrap up, they're just impatient to get to something else. Like, uh, they could have it be that, like, oh, on Halloween, 
it's like every day because every day is spooky, but mm. there's candy. Exactly. That was right at hand. They could have said that. And even within this episode, there's another reason they could be excited to go here, not because they love Halloween. And that's because Kiss, the band, is performing at Banning Junction. I couldn't name a Kiss song for you if I wanted to. This is embarrassing. I hope our listeners aren't huge Kiss fans or they'll turn you know this that off. They're, but... You know that they're sitting at home, like, covered in grease paint. Oh, like, yeah. their entire bodies. They look like Pepe Le Pew. Licking their eyelids with their <laughs> insanely long prehensile tongues. They, they, they first lick the frets of their guitar and then their eyelids. They're just switching back and forth. <laughs> But that's what—that's part of the reason that Scooby and Shaggy really want to get to Banning Junction is because Kiss is performing, and Scoo- and Shaggy says, "I really want to—I uh, really want to get my forehead signed by uh, Paul Stanley. That's his name, right? Paul Stanley. Yeah, that's exactly it. I, can we take a moment and talk about that as well? To talk that, about Paul Stanley specifically? Yeah, I talk about getting our forehead signed by Paul Stanley. I just really want to talk about that with you outside of the episode. No, to talk about the fact that Kiss is in this kid show. Like, do, did kids want to see this? Yeah, well, look, we are in our mid-20s. We're, we're sort of on, on the downhill slope to 30. Yeah, we were 12 and 11 years old when this episode came out. And my knowledge of Kiss now is barely greater than when I was at that age. Same here. Let's also run with the fact that at 12, we were already kind of aging out of the demo for this show. I don't know who would be into this. Oh, I, I feel like Kiss wanted to be in this show. Kids didn't want to see Kiss in this show. Maybe if it was like, I know that Simple Plan has been an, ep- an episode of Scooby-Doo somewhere. Mm. Simple Plan, I can understand kids being like, oh, this is cool. I'm just a kid. You know, that was like their anthem. To me, it's like if they were, it's like, oh, I can't wait to see Nirvana at uh, Banning Junction, or like, oh, Alice in Chains is going to be at Banning Junction. Isn't that great, kids? The the targeted demographic doesn't get it. It's their parents' band, right? It's it's their parents' jam. And I think this is a a Warner Brothers thing, where they're throwing out adult references and jokes. Not dirty, but grown-up. Some of them are kind of... We'll get to that. Some of them are kind of dirty. Okay, we're getting there. Uh, We are getting there, my friend. What is interesting, like, and and I'm just scrolling through... um, the other musical guests that they've had, because what is great, and we'll get to that when we get to that, but their their chase scenes are always scored by a song. Yeah, we do have so, a musical chase scene in this episode because of Kiss. So this season alone has like the first chase scene song is apparently like Puffy Puffy Amiyumi, which um, mm. they had their own show on the Cartoon Network. Tegan and Sarah have the second episode song. Oh yeah. So they were hitting stuff that was popular and like contemporary. I can't imagine being into Kiss as a kid. I like to think that it was all furries, and they all just like the cat guy. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's a, that's exactly what it was. Furry life. They look out into the crowd, and there's just a bunch of people in like black and white cat costumes. Oh, I I want to I want to jump back when Shaggy is driving the mystery machine. Fred does get a little protective. Fred's like, hey, you're riding that clutch pretty hard, Shaggy, and we hear it grinding a little bit. He's like, you want to you wanna pop that into third gear for me? And that's a reference that went way over kids' heads. That's a reference that went over my head, because I don't drive. I mean, I think the important thing is that it's a mystery machine. To children, it's a mystery how this machine works. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it, these weird references about how he's doing. Hey, man, you're really, uh, the, I can hear the camshaft grinding. The uh, air-fuel mi- mixture is going to get all out of whack, Shaggy. See, I can't tell if you're making up car terms or not. I looked it up on Wikipedia specifically for that, <laughs> and I still don't have it right, I know. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I, I'm glad you brought it up. This is when you really, when you really hear the laugh track come in. 
Yeah. Because there's a strong laugh track to this episode. Do you remember if past seasons or shows have had laugh tracks? I think they did. And that's a bit of a guess. And and maybe the reason it is so jarring is because this is a more modern take. Yeah. Right? So in, in those old episodes, maybe we just didn't re- even realize that it was playing because it was just an expectation of the time period. I don't know. I do want to take a moment and talk about the character designs. Okay, yeah. Let's do, let's do it. Um, the characters are relatively on model. Mm-hmm. I, at first glance, I couldn't tell the difference. Fred um, no, no longer has an ascot. He's just wearing a white sweater with a blue stripe and a blue collar poking out. Shaggy's shoes are a little bit more, like, busy. Yeah, they're like sneakers. They, they put laces and stuff on that. Here's something I'm noticing right now. Both Velma and Daphne appear to be wearing platforms. I did not notice that. Yeah. I, what I have for Daphne is that she's not wearing just a plain dress, but it's kind of a wrap dress. But it's like a, a kimono? A kimono, not in, like, the traditional kimono, but in, like, the lingerie, like, what a kimono would be. It, it looks kind of sultry. And for Velma... I have a couple of notes on her, just that her hair is a little bit more frizzy. It looks a little, like, tussled. It looks a little tussled, yeah. And she's got freckles now. It's really cute. Like, I I think Velma is very attractive in this show. You you said cute. I also want to point out that Velma is a little shapelier. Maybe a little bit. Her sweater normally is very formless, and her sweater here accentuates the shape of her body. And I realize we're talking about cartoon characters, but facts are facts. It's not the first time I'm going to say it in this episode. I was into Velma. The, the freckles and the frizzy hair and the uh, the skin-tight sweater. Listeners, the brief pause there was a cut because Luke went on about that for 45 minutes. <gasps> oh, gosh. Well, that's not making it in the final cut. <laughs> um, let's wrap that up. The characters look a little different, but it's quite faithful. This is far from the most extreme makeover we've seen them have. They get to bad injunction. The main thing is that Shaggy is treating his vehicle poorly. Uh, Fred gets in the front seat. They get to bad injunction. Yeah. They are there. They are not met with uh, with a welcome party. They're met by villagers with pitchforks. Um, who do you remember what they called them? No, I, I didn't write that down either. They called them trespassing cowards. And one of one of them said, uh, dumb teenagers. Which really solidly ages the gang, if this was an accurate statement. So yeah, these villagers are angry at the gang. Fortunately, Velma's aunt and uncle step forward and they say, hey, that's just our niece and her friends. It's okay. It's all good. They head into uh, the home of Uncle Evan and Aunt Meg. And really quick, a, a note on Uncle Evan. Um, he's voiced by Diedrich Bader. He's the mustached roommate in office space. And he also does a voice in Gravity Falls. I know him best from Outsourced, a.k.a. the greatest sitcom ever made. The sitcom that I wanted to watch because it had cute Indian girls in it. But you didn't want to watch because everything else about it was terrible. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to do it. It's, it. it's a terrible sitcom that I watched all of, but I will say two great things about it were Diedrich Bader, who voices Uncle Evan. He's pretty great. He's really good. And uh, Rizwan Manji who is also a really great comedy presence in there and is great comedically elsewhere. But the upshot is that Uncle Evan has a really distinct, really creepy voice. He talks kind of like this. Hey, kids, come on in. So uh, they basically explain to the kids that, oh, it's great that they're here for Halloween. This is the uh, Centennial, which is a frequent occurrence in Scooby-Doo, right? They'll, They'll come upon a place... And it will be, like, a moment that's years in the making. So this is a yeah. hundred years later. They're kind of prophecy chasers. And the curse in this case is that Hank Banning, who founded the town, he was the mayor. Uh, he was losing his mind a little bit. And the townspeople, very, rightfully so, 
ousted him from his position of power, he cursed them and said he would return in 100 years. Yeah. So Here we are a century later. The villagers are on edge over this, although the big Halloween event here is going to be very well attended because everyone wants to come on the day that Hank Banning said he'd return. So we should have said this a while back, but the villagers are on edge because some of their cornfields have been slashed and burned. Their livelihood, um, which is a big deal. And, and as a result, the farmers are on edge. The farmers are, are none too happy about this course of events. Uh, however, the mayor and others are thrilled because people are pouring in because they want to be in Banning Junction on the night where the curse comes to fruition. Not that they think it will, but because that's like a neat sort of thing. I was, I was there on the night where he was supposed to come. And he didn't. So that was great. <laughs> right? can, you, can you imagine? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, to get back on track, we're in Uncle Evan and Aunt Meg's home, and we're introduced to Cousin Marcy, who is pretty obviously from the start, the hot cousin. She's the hot cousin, and she tells her cousin Velma, you haven't changed at all. In fact, are you wearing the exact same outfit? <laughs> Which I thought was, uh, was pretty funny. There's that meta commentary again. It's weird for cartoon characters to not yeah. change the clothes that they're wearing, and the cousin has come in and kind of, you know, she's... She's poking yeah, fun at it. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we are introduced to Cousin Marcy. Um, we see outside the window in that same scene something. It's like a scarecrow with a pumpkin head and a flash of lightning. Daphne is the only one that sees this. And she says, hey, look, there's something scary in the window. Cousin Marcy is very quick to throw shade. Just out, like, for no reason, basically. She's like, oh, was it your reflection? You you hideous she-witch. Ooh, gosh. Burn, Daphne. You were the hot one, but now there's a new hot one, Cousin Marcy. Rather than being like the uh, the rich hot chick, she's the down-to-earth farm girl hottie. You find out that she's so down-to-earth and so hot that she has been crowned. Corn princess. The corn princess. To which Fred says, neat. <laughs> to which Marcy says, neat. How very retro of you, Blondie. I like that. Yeah. And she follows that up with... You look like you can bench 220 pounds, which apparently, I looked this up afterwards, is a running joke in this series that Fred claims to be able to bench 200 pounds, <laughs> or 220 pounds, which is hilarious. I love that. And I will say... That's so good. That's no small amount. I'm pretty impressed. Yeah, neither of us could even bench 200. I mean, I, that was my goal in college, was to be able to get there. 195, uh, highest I we, could go. We took... Uh, we took a weightlifting class in high school together, just as context. Yeah, so I got to say, my respect for Fred bumped up at that point, and he does kind of look like he could he could bench a decent amount. Uh, you know, you, you take off that sweatshirt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's probably got some some pecs under there. Cousin Marcy is obviously into Fred, who does not encourage or rebuff, but Daphne is none too happy about this. She seems pretty pissed. Yeah, uh, and that attitude towards Marcy is only exacerbated by the fact that Marcy keeps calling her different names that are not her name. Yeah, Debbie. Dank knee. <laughs> Can't make that last one up. Um, uh, and, and I guess just that Marcy first burned Daphne and then went after Daphne's man after knowing nothing about either of them. Yeah, she's there's, there's a lot of preemptive aggression here. Nobody really acts on Daphne's uh, sight of the monster outside the window. Uh, so they turn in for the night. They wake up. They change into the same outfits. So, sorry, real quick pause. Just during that scene, I know we didn't mention Scooby at all. Scooby's still got some gags going on. Um, he sees a cat which makes glowing red eyes at him. Again, nobody reacts. Yeah, it is interesting that he's taking a little bit of a backseat. It's not, not really a Scooby-Doo episode so far. It's very much been the gang. So they turn in, put on the same outfits. Hmm. And then we cut to the ball, the corn bash. Right. It's, it's, a, it's a little yeah. bit of like an outdoor festival. 
Um, for one thing, at the ball or at this outdoor fair, I guess it's not the actual ball. That comes later. Yeah, it's, it's a festival. The festival. Thank you. The animation is tight. They do a lot of bystanders and a lot of, like, extras walking around the background. One thing that I need to point out, just because that is who I am, they've really diversified the background characters. Mm. So you look at this festival and you have, you know, there's like a black guy, there's like a brown guy. But if you backtrack to when the farmers were, like, pissed at them and thinking that they were the ones who uh, messed with their cornfields... One of those farmers was an Asian dude. Wow. I missed all of that. Yeah. Man. There's a little bit of color in there. Pretty, pretty admirable that they're doing that. I guess it is 2002 at this stage. And then there's just a couple more things that we see. We see Daphne blowing up some balloons. And she looks on and she sees Cousin Marcy flirting with Fred. Cousin Marcy's showing Fred how to dip an apple in caramel. That's not, not a euphemism. Hey, Fred, why don't you come dip your apple in my caramel? Um, time to cut that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Make a little edit note. Um, and a little bit of the caramel gets on Fred's face, which Cousin Marcy wipes off. Daphne doesn't like that. She pops a balloon intentionally and makes Marcy spill a whole bunch of caramel on her chest. We don't see the follow-up part where Fred helps clean that off. <laughs> really, really, Daphne's plan backfired in the biggest possible way. So badly. It gets like, I mean, it gets right on her breast. And Fred's only a gentleman. Caramel of course he's gonna is help. not something you can just wipe off of cloth. You really need to get in there. You you need to get in there. Saliva is really the only thing that's going to break it down. How dare you? <laughs> I felt like we could keep this in up until that point. <laughs> um, the scene wraps up there with us meeting the mayor and a local businessman, Eldon Reed, a southern bolo tie wearing portly gentleman. So these are two very... Uh, prim-looking businessmen who recount the legend of the ghost and emphasize that it's great for the town. Yeah, it, this is an economic boom. Yeah. And from there, we hear, hey, the fields are burning. So then the gang, they speed over to the fields. Let's see what's going on here. They chase a cat, which has stolen a caramel apple, up into a water tower. And once they're in the water tower, they see that the fields have been slashed and burned in a pattern. And what was that pattern again? Uh, I, Yeah, and I quote, into patterns that appear to be traditional symbols of Halloween. I.e., a jack-o'-lantern pattern, a witch pattern. Very intricate, I gotta say. Like right, a like witch a witch a riding a broomstick. Yeah, they really got that. Um, a ghost, very much in the Pac-Man style. And then literally, the bat symbol from Batman. I I love it because <laughs> these are not inherently threatening symbols. Not at all. It's kind of charming. Like, you could see this is just like a stunt. Or maybe the farmers were trying to ask for Batman's help. Right. These these are these are shapes that you would find in Halloween themed cereal. These are marshmallow shapes. And I can't and the thing is it's funny because like if it had been like a pentagram or, or something like that, this would have been way more ominous. But still they're pretty scared and they're like, Man, there's a pattern here. Fred climbs up on the water tower and he finds a glove. At around this time, an old woman named Agnes shows up. She shows up and she says, Hank Banning did this. Um, and the cat that we've seen making glowing red eyes before kind of goes to her. We see this is her cat, this scary cat we've seen. So Agnes is going on about how this is this is the fault of Banning's ghost. And she also says, lock yourselves in your basements with your canned goods and water. It's a little crazy that she thinks ban uh, Banning is real. Her response is very rational. She's not like, let's hold a seance and sacrifice a virgin. She says, no, get get in your bunkers. St spend time with your family. She literally does say, lock yourselves in your basements with your canned goods and water. Which is, you know, if you believe a ghost is real, I guess the most rational response you could have to it. Yeah, it is. It is very, uh, it's very practical. 
So you gotta give that to her. Uh, the gang at this point, they say, well, we've obviously got a mystery on our hands. No denying it. We gotta split up and look for clues. Velma very quickly comes out with her guess as to who it might be. Oh, Daphne does. Daphne has been... Yes, Daphne. My bad. Yeah, yeah. Daphne has been insulted by Marcy. She says, hey, do we even need clues? It's obviously Marcy. She's a stone-cold bee in apartment 23. Nanatcha Khan is frantically scribbling... As soon as she writes this line, she's, <laughs> she's been struck with inspiration. Fred, on the other hand, says, why would you suspect her? She's so innocent. And Velma adds, and also my cousin. Velma, I can understand. It's a weird line for Fred to say. I'm not sure how oblivious Fred is to Marcy's advances at this stage. But Fred does have the scent of a mystery, and the scent of a woman can't compete with that for Fred. So no, he says, no, there can only be one. So Fred says, uh, me, Daphne, and Velma are going to go to the library and check this out. Um, Scooby and Shaggy, you go interview that old creepy lady that we saw. And Shaggy doesn't really want to do that. That's a scary thing. Yeah, he's like, let's, let's, how about this? How about we, we flip those tasks? We'll research. You go to the scary house. And Velma starts giving a point. It's like, oh yeah, you guys can totally go to the library. Uh, just, uh, grab these books, cross-reference it with, uh, material and microfiche, yada, yada, yada. And Scooby and Shaggy are gone. As, as soon as they're done, they have skedaddled. Fred says, you know, like, as soon as you said the word book, they, uh, they wanted nothing to do with it. This is the most inconsistent trope, which is that Scooby and Shaggy are not just scaredy cats and are not just food hungry, but they're lazy and maybe dumb. Yeah. I'm not sure how I feel about that. It's weird to think of them as, as like, lazy. Yeah, it, do it doesn't necessarily feel like part of their character. So they head over to the, the house, which is a very classically... This is a Scooby-Doo scary house. 100%. Although it is funny that it's in, like, a nice bright suburb. You'd think the homeowners association would make her, like, mow her lawn or paint her house or something at some point. But apparently Agnes heads that up. It's not out on, like, a secluded yeah. road. It is literally in a neighborhood. It's a nice part of town. But anyways, Shaggy and Scooby go there. They knock on the door, which creaks open on its own. As they are walking in, Scooby sees a, a dish of food, of pet food, uh, with the name Mr. No Noodles on it. Mm -hmm. Which is and obviously the name of the cat with the red eyes. Yep, so we now have a name for the cat, Mr. Noodles. Um, Scooby eats that food, because it's food. We see Scooby uh, being unable to turn down food. That's classic. And Shaggy finds a ton of very, th very menacingly hung farming equipment. Sickles and machetes and two-handed scythes. Shaggy starts looking at this and he's like, wow, Agnes is probably into some bad stuff here. She is nuttier than a fruitcake. And when that phrase leaves his mouth, you know Agnes is behind him. You know she's walking up behind him. And it, Scooby's trying to catch his attention. Can't do it. Agnes is standing there with, with a basket in one hand and a sickle in the other. Like, she just walks around like this. Sickling corn off of the <laughs> sidewalk. I didn't realize this until maybe the third time I saw this episode. But she takes a piece of corn, one of the more phallic bits of produce, <laughs> and she takes her sickle and she draws it slowly along this piece of corn almost undressing the corn it's terrifying it is very scary uh, and at which point obviously scooby and shaggy leave they bounce they're not gonna stick around for this we go back to the library fred daphne and velma they are doing their best research and uh we find out a place that has some potential motive to be doing this stuff it turns out that that there's a food processing plant just outside of town which is owned by eldon reed who is that bolo tie wearing businessman that uh, that we mentioned 
And uh, this food processing plant has been buying up surrounding property. In fact, the only property that it's missing are the fields that have been defaced. That sounds like motive if there ever was it. They're doing a lot of actual hard research. Normally, they like they find a newspaper or something, and, and it's like, oh, there, there was a curse. Yeah. You know, it's normally not a lot of, like, hard evidence that they come up with, but they're doing some real digging here. Yeah, normally the evidence just kind of finds them. And another thing that finds them is Marcy. Marcy's in the library as well. She's there for her electrical engineering class, we find out, which is at pretty high level. I guess she she and Velma both are kind of bookworms. And this is where we get the most risque line. Like, the line that I don't think kids would be able to understand, but that we obviously do as adults. We find out that Marcy's birthday falls on the day of the uh, the ball, yeah. like the Halloween. She ball. says. So I guess on Halloween. Yeah, she says it's my birthday today. Um, and how old is she again? She she says, and she says it's a friend. She says I'm 18, able to legally dot 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 vote. Ooh, there. That's an age of consent joke in Scooby Doo. What planet am I living on? It's rough. Rats it's rough, Shaggy. What, I, what are we supposed to do with that? Is is the thing? Is she coming on like so heavily to friend in front of everyone? I presume this is Alabama, where the age of consent is actually like fourteen, twelve if you're related. It's it's very uncomfortable, and it's it's definitely it's a line from like from like a I don't know like like a sitcom, right? Like for for adults, a uh, fresh off the boat or don't trust the bee kind of joke. It's something we'd see on TV now today. And and Daphne is just fed up with Marcy at this point. She's flirted with Fred more aggressively than Daphne does in the entire Scooby-Doo canon. So she says, uh, hey, Marcy, what were you doing this morning when uh, when this crime was committed? So she has a part-time gig at the khaki bar at the mall. And then Daphne says, all right, well, do you have any... Uh... And yeah, any way of proving that? And Marcy just whips out a laundry list. Yeah, I mean, you could confirm with my supervisor, the guy at the pretzel shack. There's even a tape showing me working. Daphne's like, all right, well, do you have access to this alleged tape? Cut to the back of a van with a TV that uh, Marcy's using to play this tape. Is that the mystery machine or is it Marcy's own van where she keeps a TV? I think it might be her own van. That was my interpretation as well. It's her own van where she keeps a TV in the back and tapes to show what she was doing the morning of. Tapes of security camera footage. That's more suspicious than anything. You really missed out on a golden opportunity to sling some mud, Daphne. That little that little cutaway gag, I would say, is even more classic, like Nanashka Khan. Like, it was very funny. And even while we're watching this tape of Marcy... She's wearing a wireless headset. She's folding sweaters and organizing gloves. Daphne is like, you you can't even see her face, even though we can. And then we hear from off screen, hey, Marcy, how's the corn princess, huh? <laughs> Such a modern way of delivering that joke. Yeah, it's, it's very good. It's Anyways, Marcy is apparently innocent. She's got a strong alibi. And so we cut back to the fields. It is nighttime right now, and Scooby and Shaggy are bemoaning the fact that they are missing Halloween. Velma asks, well, hey, do you want me to tell a scary story? Shaggy and Scooby say, no, we don't want that. Also, Fred and Daffy also say no. Nobody wants Velma to do this. Velma tells the worst scary stories, I guess. And again, I'm, I'm brought to think, what is it Scooby and Shaggy actually like about Halloween? We don't, it's hard to picture them enjoying anything because everything that's Halloween-ish, they experience week after week and they hate it. It'd be so easy to just reframe this as the fact that we're missing the Kiss concert. But the main upshot is that uh, a scarecrow comes to life. This is what's so interesting. When they're driving into Banning Junction, you see scarecrows on the side of the road 
it's those same scarecrows. When Daphne sees something outside of the window, it's that scarecrow. Yeah, we've seen these scarecrows a couple of times. It's kind of exciting now to see them come to life. But now that we see them come to life, they are ostensibly the monster of this episode. But it, we're seeing them so late. These are weird scarecrows that start sprouting out pitchforks' hands and spinning saw blades. It kind of made me think of, I know this is kind of a deep cut, but do you remember the show, the, the movie Quest for Camelot? Holy cow. Where, uh... I've, I've seen that. I don't even remember the bit that you're referring to. Ruber is the villain, and he has a little bit of potion, and apparently this potion can can meld weapons and man together. Oh, yeah. And, and seeing all of these farming implements sprout out of their wrists just made me think of Quest for Camelot. <gasps> oh, that's a great, a great deep cut for anyone who gets that. Man. And all I have to say, these are some scary-looking scarecrows. They're advancing on the gang very threateningly. The idea is that these scarecrows will kill them. So they have that moment where they have their back to the wall... And these monsters are advancing on them. And I know that we've said that Scooby-Doo has taken very much of a backseat in this episode. He he comes out strong. He rescues them by spraying the scarecrows with water. At which point we realize immediately that the scarecrows are robots. Yeah, which is such an odd pacing choice that immediately after the villain is introduced, sort of, at least the hand of the villain is introduced, it's unmasked. These are scarecrow monsters... Which we this the premise wasn't even based on Scarecrow Monsters, it was based on Hank Banning's ghost. And the Scarecrow Monsters are actually robots. They present and then they're debunked almost immediately. It's it's really wacky and again, this is already past the midway point of the episode. And at this point we've had many mentions of Hank Banning. We haven't seen head nor tail of him. We we don't even know what Hank Banning could possibly look like. There hasn't been like a like a spooky portrait on the wall. To bring us back to the current moment, Scooby saves the day. He sprays water from a hose all over these robots. Why he does that, I don't know. Normally you'd think fire against scarecrows, but he does water and it does the trick. At this point, Fred has a plan. And the plan is Shaggy and Scooby dress up in the two scarecrows that they've dismantled because the scarecrows leave. And Fred says, hey, Scooby and Shaggy, you dress up as scarecrows, follow these guys, and we'll follow you so we can find out where they're going. Specifically, we'll follow you in the mystery machine that has a shortwave so that we can find out where the radio waves are coming from, which are uh, controlling these scarecrow bots. And that's what they do. Scooby and Shaggy are none too thrilled about it. But Velma says, well, you can do that or you can go read a book in the library. <laughs> and immediately, Scooby and Shaggy dress up as scarecrows and they're on their way. Shaggy's flesh starts to burn <laughs> at the thought of, uh, of reading a book. Like a vampire in the light or a robot scarecrow in the water. He's he's in pain. <laughs> Just that's the sizzle, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Shaggy and Scooby are they're, they're following along behind the scarecrows. We cut to the ball, and that's where the scarecrows are showing up. Scooby and Shaggy follow the scarecrows here. The scarecrows are kind of incognito, dressed up, and uh, Uncle Evan gets on stage and he says, "Hey, give it up for the hottest band in the world." Kiss. At, at which point, Scooby and Shaggy, who had been in costume. They take their masks off, kind of like they don't really care about the plan anymore. So Kiss starts playing. At around the same time, the ghost of Hank Banning finally shows up. Yeah, we'd, I, we'd either forgotten or stopped caring about him by this point. But a ghostly, transparent, translucent apparition of Hank appears floating in the middle of the room. And he starts just like, you know, he's just floating around, zooming and scaring people. That's where we have our musical chase scene. The Kiss, Because Kiss is playing. Now that there's, now that there's a song... There's going to be a little bit of action. Um, there is uh, a little bit of an exchange between the band members. Hey, Paul, what should we do? What we always do. Keep playing until the cops come. Ooh, I don't know if that's a thing. What kind of debauchery goes on at a KISS show? Yep. We're kind of on a downhill slope now. So the gang 
actively tries to throw things at the ghosts. Scooby and Shaggy, most of all, fight the scarecrows. They Shaggy splash. They both throw some punch on one scarecrow and take it out of commission. They bob for apples and then spit a ton of apples at these other two scarecrows. They're they're being pretty brave. When it comes to to the, to the Scooby Gang and the fight or flight response, tradition dictates that the flight response is always the one that's taken. The only fight response, I'd say, really, at least on Scooby and Shaggy's part, is the Scooby-Doop. Let's get to that. Let's get to that. The Scooby-Doop is where Scooby and Shaggy um, both do a bit. They pretend that they're in this kind of scenario, and the monster has to buy in due to social pressure. There's, there's a social expectation to behave a certain way, and the monster doesn't want to want to cause any full pause. So he's like, okay, well, I, I admit it. He, yeah, he buys in completely. And it is our favorite bit. I love this bit. When it's done well, it's the best part of Scooby-Doo. Here, what we see is that Shaggy is, I think, a wolf man, and he's in this kind of, like, prom photo scene. There's, there's a backdrop, right, the, where there's, like, a, there are, like, cutouts. Like, there's a background. Yeah, so he's posing there. Scooby ushers two scarecrows in to get their picture taken together. And again, these are robots. <laughs> Which is makes it, in some ways, a great, <laughs> a great gag, because the societal pressure is so great, it's making them run counter to their programming <laughs> to be more human. Yeah, if anything, this scenario has has brought them closer to uh what what is it called? The um when when robots gain like uh sentience? Uh not the singularity. The singularity. Or oh, it is the singularity, is, is that, yeah. yeah. This, I mean this is a, a very Westworld moment. Yeah, the just leaps and bounds in, in, in computation and, and like passing the Turing test. These these robots are more human than they've ever been. The rest of the episode is an examination of this. It's just iRobot. There, there's a, there's one special scarecrow saying, I did not kill him! <gasps> oh, man. But how, how does the Scooby-Doop actually end? They're getting their picture taken with Shaggy. The snapshot is taken, which which blinds the robots. They're, like, rubbing their eyes. Scooby gives them the photo. It's, it's a Polaroid. Scooby and Shaggy run, which is how it works. The scarecrows look down. And and it, it's a nice picture, but uh, Shaggy, the Shaggy werewolf, is doing bunny ears uh, behind their heads. That kind of two-finger peace sign bunny ears behind both of their heads. So I'd say it's a pretty successful Scooby-Doop. The goal is that they buy in, it gives Scooby and Shaggy a moment to run away, and the monsters are somehow kind of humbled or embarrassed in the process. And often, like, enraged. They're like, arr, 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 and then they'll, like, they'll, they'll resume their chase. Yeah. This picture didn't turn out the way I wanted. After, after the song has more or less wrapped up, you can see that... Uh, by and large, all of the uh, all of the scarecrows have been subdued. It kind of wraps up a little bit suddenly, with uh, Shaggy being cornered by two scarecrows. Scooby appears in the rafters, dressed up as a superhero, and swings down Tarzan style, knocks the two scarecrows away. And there's a heartwarming moment where Scooby licks Shaggy's face. It it is very heartwarming. I did notice that as well because it's like, oh, they're friends. They're friends, yeah. All of this takes place, and the scary ghost of uh hank banning okay no no joke when i was writing notes and thinking about this the entire time instead of hank banning i kept thinking steve bannon which which <laughs> so made political. it so much scarier <laughs> it's so true the ghost of uh steve bannon you never really see him but he's always there somehow he's pulling the strings behind the scenes Wow. Uh, it's so appropriate. It turns out, I and I hate that I brought it up, because this has been such a weirdly politically <laughs> charged episode. And, uh, of course, we find out that the, the villain is illegal immigrants. It was them the whole time. It was our fault for not uh, putting up stricter border patrols. 
The end. Yeah, that's it. Uh, this, thank you for listening. It turns out that the ghost was a hologram. Yeah, being projected from a side room. And I, I note just here real quickly, the ghost of Hank Banning has done nothing at all. He's he's spooked people a little bit, but while but but the chase scene is the scarecrows, yeah, which we already know are robots. Hank Banning was totally ancillary, and you're not gonna really worry about a translucent ephemeral ghost uh, when there's real animatronic scarecrows with saw and pitchfork hands running at you. There's really no reason for the ghost to show up except to sort of hit home the fact that oh, the prophecy has come true. The ghost is here. Funny enough, there's been no note on the scarecrows. Like, that wasn't part of the prophecy or anything. And, and at this point, the hologram has stopped. That's how they know it's a hologram. It's just floating, projected from, like you said, a side room. They open up the door to the side room. And they see that there's no one in there. Even the projection was being remotely controlled. Then someone asks the question, who would go to such lengths to upstage Halloween? And to that, Velma knows the answer. Let's go to the water tower. So they go to the same water tower where Shaggy and Scooby, they were up there. They saw the... <laughs> extremely tame imagery burned and slashed into the cornfields and where Fred found the club. And pretty much immediately we see Velma climbs up, she's got a flashlight, she looks, she finds the villain. It's Marcy. Cousin Marcy. Oh, cousin. Oh, sweet cousin Marcy. Why did you do this to me? Why, I did it because I, I love Fred. Fred, I love you. Oh, gosh, Marcy. <laughs> I had no idea you felt like that. Ruh-roh. <laughs> Fred, can't we? I'm 18 today, Fred. Maybe before they take <laughs> me away, maybe you can take me all the way. Oh, gosh, Marcy, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> uh, oh, Fred. You okay, can... I, gotta, I gotta cut you off there. I feel like this is going to... <laughs> To a place I don't want this podcast. I'm cutting to go. all of that. I, it's garbage. I'm a garbage person. I loved it's it. Terrible. It's so good. Why did you let me go on so long? <laughs> My favorite thing to do is when you come up with a dead bit, is to let you run with this podcast. You're possible. so bad. A good friend would either cut me off or kill me, but wouldn't let me keep talking. <laughs> and I do it on for so long. <laughs> like, there are so many jumping off points <laughs> but somehow I kept bringing it to the most boring flat place possible <laughs> I, I did like your uh, take me away, take me all the way I thought that was solid <laughs> I feel like you could have stopped there I should have um, okay. so Marcy, I hope you guys enjoyed uh, Luke's, Luke's charming sketch they won't, I'm taking it out <laughs> Please leave it in. Uh, Marcy Marcy basically asks them, uh, as soon as she's caught, how would you like it if your birthday was overshadowed every year of your life? Which is fair, I guess. Yeah, and that was well-seated in there. Halloween is a very big deal in Banning Junction. And this Halloween, it's the centennial of this curse. Marcy is turning 18. And, you know, that's the age where she can celebrate the right to, to vote. Uh, yeah. Which really ties in to, to the whole theme of this episode. You know, that, that's, Holy crap! Yeah, man, it's, it's all about her right to uh, to elect the leader of her country, right? Yeah, that's, that, that she so chooses, and and that's being totally overshadowed. People don't recognize her as now a a legal voter. They recognize her as the corn princess, and that just ah, that riles her up. Yeah, what she really wanted was people to say, "Ah, Marcy, I heard you're eighteen. 
who are you voting for? Yeah. Mm. That was the scenario in her head. That's what she wanted. She didn't want people to say, like, oh, you're the princess of corn. She didn't want to be... She wanted it to be her birthday, and it never was. And also, she did it by using her electrical engineering skills that she learned. So we kind of... That was a strong indicator as soon as we found out that the ro- they were robots. As soon as she mentioned that, and then as soon as you find out that the scarecrows are robots, it becomes pretty apparent. As mysteries go, maybe not as strong as previous installments. Some good red herrings, though. Um, For instance, the food processing plant, which we found out in the library was actually owned by the uh, the southern looking businessman that was trying to buy up all the surrounding property had nothing to do with it because they put so much research into it it does seem at least for a period of time like a very plausible uh, direction what i think is so fascinating about this episode in addition to like all of the meta commentary and some like more risque humor is the fact that there is no costumed ghost or ghoul or monster that's true i thought i was suspected it was marcy Initially, when I saw the scarecrows, because it was a, the scarecrows are very slender, they almost have a feminine figure. And I thought, oh, that's Marcy dressing up as a scarecrow using the clothes she had at, the, uh, at her job. And we do, that is a clue, is that the gloves from her job that we see are the gloves that we see later. But there was no dressing up whatsoever, just animatronic robots and a projector. Well, yeah, it's, it's just really interesting um, because, because as a result, there's no unmasking. We just come upon her on the water tower and it's... A kind of undramatic moment, kind of anticlimactic. We, we find out that since no harm was done, which is debatable. Oh, absolutely um, be- debatable. They because say the cornfields were slashed and burned. Th- from the very beginning, the guy who dresses up as later as Hong Kong Fui says, our livelihood. And it's true. These are huge swaths of corn that are all burnt and torn up and gone. But the police officer basically says, since since there was no damage done, which is patently false, yeah. we're just going to give you, like, 30 hours community service. Yeah, he says, community service will do. And as Marcy's driving away, she flirts with Fred. She says, hey, I'll be out and actually, in, I'll, I'll be out in 300 hours. Oh, it's 300. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, that's a fair amount of community service. But anyway, she has that one last little flirt with Fred, who, again, doesn't really react one way or another. We never see him disappointed or or kind of disown, disengage with Marcy, maybe. Yeah, yeah, disengage is good. We never see him shut it down, so that kind of sucks for Daphne, but Daphne is quite smug seeing Marcy drive away. Yeah, interestingly enough, in the first, maybe third of this episode, Daphne directly tells everyone who it is. And they all, they all blow it off. Although Daphne's support for it is woman's intuition. She mentions that it's a woman's intuition early on, and that's not sufficient evidence. Marcy is in the, the squad car. One of the cast members stops by and says, uh, Well, Marcy, I hope you learned a lesson from all this. I know I have. The final gag is that Scooby and Shaggy, for Halloween, dress up as each other. It's actually very frightening. Scooby's wearing Shaggy's shirt and a Shaggy mask. and Shaggy's wearing like a very like lumpy Scooby-Doo costume. Kind of like a Scooby-Doo fat suit. Really, it doesn't look like Scooby-Doo's physique at all. No, which is silly because Shaggy's skinny. He could do that. So there's no reason for him to look like this dumpy, like, he looks like a brown grimace. Yeah, yeah. And then at the very end, as they're driving away... Scooby and Shaggy are in the back of the van. As they're driving away past Marcy, who is, uh, because community service on TV is always trash on the side of the road. Yeah. She's in an orange jumpsuit, um, spiking trash off the side of the road. Daphne's thrilled by this. And Scooby and Shaggy are in the back of the van where they belong, eating so much candy that they're pot-bellied and sick. Yeah, that's a definitive check check off of that. Absolutely. Yeah. When they're distended, you know they've achieved. And really, at the very last, Velma says, the legend is silly. Um, yeah, it's what a silly legend, ultimately. They pass the thank you for visiting 
banning junction sign, on top of which is Mr. Noodles the cat. And what happens is that Mr. Noodles, his eyes turn red, which is never explained, and is obviously very strange and, and uncanny. Looks incredibly supernatural, and we've seen it a couple times already. He starts laughing? Yeah, laughs maniacally. And then disappears. With the eyes still there, Cheshire Cat style. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. And it's like, okay, the whole point of this episode was that ghosts aren't real. And that, like, Steve Banning... Steve Banning... <laughs> and that Hank Banning was just a legend. <laughs> but at the very end, this cat was really supernatural. But we don't know how. It's not... Was this the ghost of Hank Banning? But the cat actually led them to the water tower and helped solve the mystery a little bit. And didn't actually do anything bad. So what's... How did that factor in? Ultimately, we're just left with Scooby-Doo saying his tag-out line, Scooby-Dooby-Doo! But... Saying it like, Scooby-Dooby-Doo? Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, in a horror movie, when they kill the monster, and then it looks like the monster is still alive? Yeah, that... It's one of those kind of moments that... where, where the ending is ominous and not optimistic. Yeah, where the hand pokes out of the ground, where the spinning top doesn't quite fall over. It kind of leaves it open, and not... not meaningfully so. So, yeah, it's bizarre, because once again, like, look, these scarecrows, they're robots. This ghost, he's a hologram. Well, I mean, overall, and kind of zoom out a little bit and talk about the episode overall, there were some great gags, some great jokes. And and again, it's very modern comedy. Absolutely. And I think we see that much more and better done, I think, in Be Cool Scooby-Doo. We've mentioned it a couple of times, but that's still coming up. We see a very modern comedy take. And there's some of those sensibilities here already. Yeah, it's it's the uh, it's the Fred being in the backseat. And it's the cutaway to the uh, to the security camera footage. Oh yeah, Th- those two I think are like uh, they're highlights and they're very well done. The eighteen year old legal age of voting thing was just unexpected. Oh yeah, it's it's abrupt. Uh, let's uh, let's look at our checklist. Let's see how this matches up with with what we expect from uh, from Scooby Doo. Yeah, splitting up to look for clues. That happened. We did that as soon as we knew there was a real mystery here. Uh, the Scooby-Doop right near the end, because that's when the monster appears. Not not the best, but also not awful. Yeah, no, we've definitely seen worse. Um, Scooby Snacks, didn't see him. No, no, no Scooby Snacks whatsoever. And the musical slash, musical chase scene, of course, Kiss scored it. Definitely happened. We didn't have the corridors within them, them running in and out of doors and chasing each other. But the musical chase scene was there, and that was a pleasure. The trap trying to trap the monster didn't really happen. No, we chased it and we fought it. The wrap-up, the unmasking, also didn't happen a bit. Both of which are not applicable because, again, there's no costumes monster. There's no ghoul. Yeah, there is a little bit of the wrap-up, you could say, in the explanation, but even that's kind of drawn out a little bit. Yeah, I think I think the unmasking is key, right? You you pull the mask off the face. And then you realize all at once who it is, and then we construct how it is. This, the penultimate one is you meddling kids. This is the first episode we've seen so far where those words are uttered on screen. True. And the weird thing is, they're uttered by the first villain, not the second one. Oldsy at the very beginning says, "You, I would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you meddling kids. Marcy doesn't say that, presumably because she's their age. This really ties into the whole meta thing where it's like, if you think of Scooby-Doo, what do you think of? All of the things that we've just mentioned. Mm. But I think first and foremost in pop culture, it's the idea that someone is captured and they, and they say, I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for you meddling kids and dumb dog. Yeah. And this episode was clearly written with that knowledge in mind. Yeah, it assumes that you already know that because it jumps in at the end of an episode. So we see, we don't, we do see you meddling kids, not in the way we might expect. 
And then the very last trope being Scooby and Shaggy eating tons of food. And we do see that. Uh, so what is this? One, two, three, four? Four out of eight? Not bad. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's very unorthodox. And you know what? I, I got to back up a little bit. We did see a trap at the beginning. We did see a trap. I guess the reason I want to discount that is because it wasn't the primary focus of, uh, of the episode. True, though. The same applies to you meddling kids. Right. So this is this is a tentative debatably the trap where you meddling kids could go either way. This is this is like a five out of eight or a three out of eight. Yeah, definitely unusual. Big thoughts for the episode. The modern humor is appreciated when it landed, which was fairly often. Mm-hmm. But the unorthodox narrative made it a little bit of a hard sell for me. I, it's not. It's like I couldn't fully buy in because it didn't have like that classic element, just in general of. There's a person in a costume, and we need to find out who it is. It's it's absent completely. Yeah. It had some good mystery elements with the reason that she's looking, Marcy's looking to uh, 69, the uh, 86. <laughs> 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 I meant 86. <laughs> hey, hey, there. those are just 17 integers apart. Okay. I didn't know if you I thought you were actually making a joke. Have mercy, I was not. <laughs> she was looking at 86, the Halloween festivities. <laughs> and 69 Fred. Excuse me. I'm getting mixed up. <laughs> but she's trying to we the reason she's trying to do it in the way she does and the way we're introduced to the clues, I think, is effective. But like you said, the narrative is kind of uneven. It's hard to track the monsters do you, th- do you think this is kind of like a high risk high reward sort of they're risking a lot i think i do think so um it risks a lot they take they do some chancy jokes i think doing the fred in the back seat um was a joke that was a little daring and i really appreciated that i was telling a friend just last night and talking about movies that i would rather see someone fail spectacularly than succeed safely absolutely and i don't think that this episode failed no right nor does it try and succeed safely. I'd say a safe success is a failure. They, they try to do new things. Some of those new things work. And overall, it's it's decent. It's I, I feel like it's lacking in some areas. But overall, I liked it. I thought it was good. I, I would gladly return to the series if just to see more jokes about how much Fred can bench. I'm dying to see that gag oh, return. I, look... I feel like that is is one of those um, one of those running gags that keeps on giving. I hope I don't think they do, but I hope there's also I'm now old enough to rent a car, <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that. Oh man! But overall, I I quite enjoyed the episode. Again, the animation was next level. Um, there was so much background detail, so much fully realized depth. Like when Shaggy scares Scooby because he's wearing a mask when they're in the outdoor festival and he pulls the mask off, his hair like lifts and then rests back down. Scooby also says like, Raggy, which I also loved because it really communicated this idea that they're like best buds, that they're like actual friends. They razz each other some some good times. Yeah. yeah. And, and even though they, they take a backseat, even though they're not the focus a lot of the time. I thought there was a lot of genuine character interaction between the two of them. And maybe that's what really landed in this episode for me, is it was a character-driven episode. Uh, not just with Scooby and Shaggy, but Fred, Velma, and Daphne got some real time, and I love that. Especially, like, Fred gets back in the front seat of his van after Shaggy's tearing it up, and he's like, It's okay, baby. You're okay, old gal. And then Velma and Daphne give each other a look like, I can't believe we've both slept with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's nice. It's, it's very well done. Um... 
So that's uh, episode six of What's New Scooby-Doo. One thought, just sorry, last thought on this show. No one ever says What's New Scooby-Doo, but Shaggy, when he's about to be attacked by those two um, scarecrows, does say, Scooby-Doo, where are you? Um, which is weird that they said the title of the other series. Yeah, and I think in that other series, that that was when he said it a lot, right? That's a very common, like, uh, like he would say that in, like, the theme song. Yeah, Scooby-Doo, where are you? No one said what's new at any point. So, yeah, just a thought. Anyways. Thank you so much, and uh, we love you. I, I love you. I love you, listeners. I, I want to be with you. I'm old enough now. My mama, she, she passed away. She never wanted me to be with someone, but now she's gone, I feel I'm, I feel I must. I'm so lonely. My bed, it's so large. It's about an acre-sized bed. <laughs> and I just have it all to myself, all my lonely self. I do have a little cattle. I sleep with the cattle most nights, but they don't warm me like a man would. Oh, oh, Freddy. Oh, Freddy Jones, why don't you... Why don't you come on down to my acre-sized bed? Climb over the cattle. You'll find me. <laughs> You'll find me resting atop old Bessie. She's got the softest back. <laughs> it's a little narrow. It's much narrower than my bed. It's the actual cow I sleep on. But there's room for two, Freddy. <laughs> Sometimes when I sleep, old Bessie rolls over and she's on top of me. But you can move her off. She's only we- 220 pounds. <laughs> Just that oh, mental Freddy. image of you 68ing with a cow. <laughs> Matter of fact, there's 68 cows. 86ing. There's 86 cows. Man, those improv classes have been paying off, huh? No, obviously not. <laughs> that that was our episode for this week, folks. That was it. Yeah, thank you so much for, uh, I guess, for humoring... Are sort of you know we had a lot of hot takes about the about the current times. We appreciate your listenership, and you know what I got to give a shout out real quick to the people who we appreciate the very most. There are a number of uh, there are a number of individuals who have taken it upon themselves to support us monetarily, and we really are we're just overcome with gratitude for them. And you might be thinking, why would anyone throw money at this kind of podcast? It's free, right? Anyone can listen to this for free. But look. If you donate to us on Patreon, you can get a lot of sweet, exclusive content in addition to helping to support a product that you love. What I've been doing is I've been uploading a lot of like artwork in progress. I've mm. been sort of shining a light on the creative decisions behind that. Ooh. And coming down the pipe uh, this week, we are going to put up some bonus audio for everyone, for, for all of our listeners, just little snippets here and there. Yeah, if you love that episode you just listened to, there's going to be more content going up on Patreon from that episode. Stuff we had to cut for time that we loved, we love talking about, you're going to love listening to, but it's exclusively on Patreon. So, so join these esteemed individuals who are supporting this fantastic work, uh, this brilliant, revelatory work, and, uh, and give us your money. We're actually going to we're actually going to name them all right now. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess first, do we have anyone new? Oh my gosh. Uh, not from my understanding, no. Actually, I think if we if we do a quick refresh, are you you're, serious? You're exactly right. There's no one new this this <laughs> week around. Okay. <laughs> so let's give a let's give a I've shout out. I've never been so relieved to not receive money. 
Yeah, no one knew this week. We'll see what happens next week. For the moment, let's go ahead and give a shout out to all of our existing recurring donors. Um, here they are. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Leon. Once again, thank you for all your donations and all your support. And you know what? If you don't have the cashola to give to us on Patreon, there's still a lot of other ways that you can get some sweet content um, beyond the episode you just listened to. Hit up our website at scoobydudes.com. I put it on a lot of show notes, a lot of the like pop culture references. If I, if I reference a movie that you might not know, there's a good chance I have uh, fleshed that out a little bit. Uh, you can see sweet original art based on our podcasts and the episodes at hand. There are some screenshots with hilarious captions. It's just, it, it, it's it, it's like a fun house. Also find us on Facebook. That's just facebook.com slash Scooby Dudes. Yeah, check us out on Twitter. We are the Scooby Dudes, at the Scooby Dudes. Of course, you can shoot us an email. That's Scooby Dudes Podcast at gmail.com. Outside of that, really... Uh, for next week, we're going to be covering uh, back-to-back mini-episodes of Scooby-Doo. Yeah, it's a special two-parter, uh, the Scooby-Coop and the Fall Dog. And we've we've covered this a really unique way, where uh, I will be covering the first 11 or so minutes. And I will be covering the second 11 or so minutes on the second half of the episode. Then we're going to take those two audios. Right, and we're going to overlay them. So you're going to hear us both talking non-stop together about each of the episodes. It's kind of going to be like a vanilla chocolate swirl. We really believe it's going to save you a lot of time. We, we really consider you strongly as our listeners. We, we want to save you the time and, and get really twice the content. Yeah, give you more bang for your buck. So bring your bucks. We'll give you our bangs. This is Cat Daddy and Super Fun House. All right, signing off for now. Signing off for now. Catch you guys next week.